Good morning. My name is Mark Schuler. I'm the pastor of adult ministries here at Harvest and uh, grateful to be able to share God's word with you. Thankful for Pastor Tim and for the elders for the opportunity. Well, let me start with this. I was reading an article this week about a guy named Mark Ashton Smith, and he was a 33-year-old lecturer at Cambridge University. And so one day he, he's out uh, kayaking and he gets capsized in, in these treacherous waters. So you kind of got the picture, takes a break from his lecturing, he goes out, goes kayaking, storm hits, capsized, clinging for life. And so as he's clinging to the kayak, you know what the first thing he did in that time of need? He, he actually pulled out his, uh, his cell phone and he called his dad. He pulled out his cell phone and he called his father, even though his father was 3,500 miles away training British troops in Dubai. His first impulse in that time of need was to call upon uh, his dad. And so his dad gets the call, uh, relays the information to the Coast Guard. They actually had an installation less than a mile away. And so within 12 minutes, helicopter shows up and saves, rescues Mark. So, question. What's your first impulse in times of need? Is it to call upon, now listen, your heavenly father? Is, is it to seek help from your forever faithful father? Because that's what we're going to see in Psalm 102 today. The psalmist is suffering. He's hurting. He's afflicted. What does he do in that time? He calls upon his father who is in heaven. So why don't you grab your Bible and go to Psalm 102. I'll meet you there in a moment. Uh, I'm going to head over to Hebrews because we've been in a series called uh, A Glimpse of the Messiah, right? And so we've been looking at how the author of Hebrews has pulled quotes out of the psalm uh, to give us a more greater understanding of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And so the quote today from Hebrews 1, 10 through 12 comes right from Psalm 102, 25 to 27. It, it goes like this. And you, Lord laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Awesome verse, right? Good stuff. Well, now let's work our way through Psalm 102 here and see how this makes much of God. If you're taking notes, uh, go ahead and grab your notes there. Here's the first one. Uh, point number one, worship. Our God is on his throne, reigning forever. Our God is on his throne, reigning forever. I'm going to start today in verse 12 and work through verse 12 to 28. This is gonna, kind of the big turn of the psalm. Okay, so we're going to dig deeply into that, but I first want to read to you verses 1 to 11 to set the context here of what's going on. All right, we need to know what's happening in the life of the psalmist. So look at verse 1 of 102, and I'll kind of read and give a little commentary here. <clears throat> verse 1, hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. So obviously praying, crying out. Verse 2, do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. This is desperate prayer, seeking God in trouble. Incline your ear to me, answer me speedily in the day when I call. This is expectant prayer. Verse 3, for my days pass away like smoke, 
My bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread because of my loud groaning. My bones cling to my flesh. This is hurt. This is pain. This is despair. He's not hungry. Listen to this, verse 6. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. Using animal imagery to show his isolation. He can't sleep. He feels lonely. All the days, my enemies taunt me. For those who deride me, use my name for a curse. Right? Affliction coming from others who hate him. Verse 9, for I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. There's sadness, there's crying. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. He's confused. He, He sees that God has allowed these circumstances in his life, and so he's crying out in the midst of this. So the psalmist is what? What do we gather? He's suffering. He doesn't confess to sin in the psalm, although he's questioning in verse 10 whether maybe his sin is a result here of his suffering and he can't see it. It's kind of similar to like a Job situation, the difficulty of the circumstances that God allows but allows for a divine purpose. He's weak. He's exhausted. He's being harassed by enemies. He's anxious for Jerusalem. He feels like maybe he's too soon reached the end of his own life. So the psalmist is anxious, suffering, mourning, despairing, lonely, grieving, tired, feeling sick, attacked by his enemies. Got the context? Got it? Okay, here we go. Verse 12. But you, O Lord. You see it? But you, O Lord. But you, O Lord. This is the turn. This is the moment right here. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. This is the turning point of the whole psalm. This is where he takes his eyes and he lifts them up onto eternal God and takes his eyes off of perishing man. He lifts them up. He takes his eyes off of his circumstances, off of his enemies, off of himself, and he he lifts them up to the heavens He lifts them up to God, to a God who is for us, so nothing or no one could be against us. Look, this is what he does. Look up here, little visual. He he takes the focus off of self, and he looks up to God. He takes the focus off of all the things that are going on in his life, the hard things, the enemies, the circumstances around, and he takes his eyes and he lifts them up. But you, O Lord... He turns his eyes to the heavens. This this really is a we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you, O God. He begins to turn his focus up. He looks up. Look at verse 12. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. In spite of his circumstances, he by faith realizes that God is on his throne. God is always remembered because God has always been. Forever rule, forever reign, always in charge, always in control, on the throne. Verse 13, he says, you will arise, right? But you, O Lord, verse 12, you will arise, verse 13. Hope, confidence in God. You will arise and have pity on Zion. 
Let's talk about that key word there and let me kind of explain that. It's really important to our text. And uh, the word Zion can be used a number of times, uh, is used a number of times. It occurs over 150 times in the Bible. And it's used a number of ways uh, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But here it refers to the city of Jerusalem. Zion equals city of Jerusalem, okay? In fact, the first mention of Zion in the Bible is 2 Samuel 5-7. And it says, David captured the fortress of Zion which is the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. So, a little history. Zion was originally an ancient Jebusite fortress in the city of Jerusalem. And after David's conquest of the fortress, Jerusalem then became a possession of Israel. And so the king's palace was built there. And Zion, or Jerusalem, became kind of the seat of power in Israel's kingdom. But look, here in the context of Psalm 102... In the period here, the Babylonian exile, right here, the city of Jerusalem, listen now, was in a miserable, lamentable state. It was in a condition that only the grace and compassion of God could ever reverse. The city's temple and its walls were in rubble. They were destroyed. The dust and the debris, it lay everywhere. It's why it says in verse 14, For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. The Lord's people loved Jerusalem and now it was destroyed. Psalm 137.1 gives us a little more context. It says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. They were taken away, brought into exile. The city was destroyed. Psalm 137, verses 5 and 6. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. The servants of the Lord loved Zion, and now it was a pile of wreckage. It was destroyed. The city of David, completely destroyed. But... But you, O Lord, you see, but you, O Lord, God will arise. God will have compassion. He will show favor on the city. He will show favor on his people. Sovereign God, reigning God, he is the focus of the whole psalm. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered. You will arise. See, eyes up focused on God, God in control, God reigning on the throne. Verses 15 and 16, nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory for the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. The time would come. God would act. God would rebuild, restore Jerusalem. In the future, God would and he did. We can read Ezra We can read Nehemiah. We can see this. God would bring his people back from exile and rebuild Zion. And it would be a display, church, of his glory. For his glory, nations would see and hear and fear the Lord. Earthly kings would see and fear the Lord. And all of this is a response to what? The prayer of the needy. We see that again in verse 17. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. 
Remember verse 1? Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let, me, let my cry come to you. God does not despise. He hears the prayer. Those who are humble and down will be lifted up. Our God hears. Our God acts. Our God responds. So here's the summary so far. An uncertain future lies ahead for the psalmist, but he does what? He looks up. He begins to worship. He looks up. He cries out. He, he worships God by remembering that it's our God who reigns. He is on the throne. He is sovereign, our sovereign, unstoppable, all-powerful king. He will be worshipped. He will act in his timing. He will act for his glory. Church, we worship God in tough times because with God there is always hope for our future. There's always hope we worship all the time. It was Thomas Brooks that said this, hope can see heaven through the thickest cloud. I love that. Hope can see heaven through the thickest cloud. Why? Because God is on the throne. Because God reigns. Because, because uh, God is seated in the heavens. He does all that he pleases, Psalm 115. It's our God who reigns. And you and I today could probably think, of some circumstances that are challenging, difficult, hard. You could think of circumstances maybe for, for you, for family members, for friends, for people you know, for the church in this world, for the country, for the world at large. We could think of difficult circumstances, but he is still enthroned forever. He is still reigning he is on his throne. Say that with me. He is on his throne. Let's do that again. He is on his throne. It doesn't matter what our circumstances say. It doesn't matter what our feelings scream. God is on his throne. And he calls us to look up to him. When difficulty stirs up, church, let your worship dial up. When difficulty in your life begins to stir up, let your worship dial up. Look up, but you, O oh Lord, are enthroned forever. I was watching the news a few weeks ago when I, I saw the story about uh, 20-year-old Kayla Montgomery. And uh, five years before, when she was 15, she was diagnosed with uh, MS. And so uh, she was a runner. So what would happen is she didn't want to give up running, and so as she ran, the intense exercise would bring about weakness, instability. She, she, her legs would basically go numb. Her upper body would ache. And so as she ran, she would just go on autopilot, right? She just, she just one foot after there, she just kept going and going and going. The problem was she couldn't stop. She, she, if she tried to stop, she had no control of her legs. She would just kind of stagger, and boom, she would fall. So her coach, a guy by the name of Patrick Cromwell, he would, he would get himself to the finish line when she was about done, kind of brace himself, you know, and she'd come flying in as fast as she could. And as she came into the finish line, she couldn't stop, so he would just, boom, he would just swoop her up. He would just, he would just grab her and carry her. I got a picture here. Of, uh, of that. There it is there. So 
It's a picture of Kayla just, just aching and hurting, coach grabbing her, picking her up. So Kayla's exhausted, she's tired, she's, her, her body's out of control, and she falls into the arms of her coach. Maybe you're here today, and truth be told, man, you're, you're tired. You're exhausted. You're, you're feeling so hurt. It, it even appears to you like, man, life is it's just out of control. Fall into the arms of God. Fall into the arms of God. Just, just, just look up. Just, just look up. He will catch you. He will not fail you. He will act. Look up to God. He is true and trustworthy. His promises never fail. He is on his throne. Look, make the turn in your life too. Man, do a verse 12. Make the turn. But you, O Lord. But you, O Lord. Some of you are in that place today where you need to make the turn and say, God, all of this going on, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. When difficulty stirs up, let your worship dial up. Question, how is your worship today? Are your eyes up on the heavens? Look up. Our God is on his throne, reigning forever. Here's point two. Share, share. God's goodness to us leads others to worship him also. Look at verse 18. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. This, let's stop there. This, this is great hope the psalmist has here, even when he doesn't see it. This is great hope. He believes God's going to work in the future. This is kind of a um, walking by faith, not by sight moment. It's kind of like, I don't see it, but I know it's coming. Write it down. Write down what God's going to do. There's always hope in the ongoing sovereignty of God over his people. There's always hope in the ongoing sovereignty of God. And so he says, let this be recorded for a generation to come so the people yet to be created may praise the Lord. He's like, write it down. Write it down. Actually, the Psalms are songs, right? So it's really like this. Preserve the praise. Preserve the praise. And the author's the one writing it so that future generations would, would be encouraged that they would sing it for all that God is and all that God has done for them. And what what will God do for them? Well, verse 19 now. It says that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven, the Lord looked at the earth. He looks down from his throne. This here is a picture of the omniscience of God. That God sees all. That God knows all. And God's view of his children is often pictured in the Psalms. Why? Because it shows his great care. It shows his great concern for his kids. So he looks, and now verse 20, he hears. To, to hear, he looks down to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die. 
He hears the cries of his people. He acts. He delivers them from what appears to be sure death. And just think about this now. They were in Babylonian captivity for over 70 years. Seven long decades. Slavery. Exile. Humiliation. Despair. Difficulty. Then, in a moment, God's hand would bring them back. In a moment, God would do this. He would rise up. He would bring them back to lift high the name of God together. Verse 21, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, in Jerusalem his praise. When peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord, God would deliver them. He would rescue them. They would gather. They would worship him. It's all about God. It's all about God. The future deliverance here displays this, God's care, his victory, his power, his glory to the people. And so they once again would do what? They would declare in Zion the name of the Lord. They would declare it. They would praise God again in a rebuilt Jerusalem. People would gather there. Just picture it. Kingdoms would gather there from nations, God's people again, and would praise the name of God once again in Zion. And clearly we read this and we see it's all God, right? God sees them. God hears it. God responds. God delivers. God restores. What do the people do? They cry out to God and they rejoice. And God is the one moving. God is on his throne It's an awesome psalm. I was, uh, I was reading this week also Psalm 126. I wanted to read to you verses 1 to 3. It's, it's a great song. It's a great psalm of hope. And uh, it's one of my favorites. This, this brings a little more context too because this was the song in their mouth when they returned to Zion. Listen to Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. We are filled with joy. The author of the psalm here is suffering. He prays. He worships. God responds, God restores, and all of that would be recorded so that a future generation would worship God too. So uh, in our family, Stacy and I decided years ago that we were going to set up memorial stones. And um, these are reminders to us of how personal and how powerful God is in our life. And so they're reminders to us And then we share those with our kids that they would be passed down as well. Obviously, the idea comes from Joshua 4. And when God performed a miracle and uh, God's people went across the Jordan on dry ground, he said to them, "Take, take out 12 stones from the Jordan and set them up as a monument that people would fear me. He says, set them up, and it actually says this, so that all the people on the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty and he is to be worshiped forever. So they set up these memorial stones and they shared it 
from generation to generation what God uh, did. And so we started doing this a while ago to kind of pass it down and share as a reminder of how powerful and personal God is. And so this was one of the first rocks that we did, and it just says seminary on it. And I can still remember when God called me from my full-time teaching job into a full-time seminary, full-time ministry. And so I got the date down there. It was October 30th of 2004. It was 7.15 in the morning. I can still remember where I was praying and reading in Luke 12, where it said, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. And God just spoke that in my life in such a way to give me confidence that I could move forward and leave my teaching job and go to seminary. And so we, we set up this rock as a reminder that, man, God changed my life that day. And he, he changed it. And he's the one that led me and guided me. And I can look back and see what he did. We have about six or seven of these that we keep in our garden. Here's another one. They just wrote down Harvest Houston. Back in uh, 2010, uh, God had uh, led and called me to take a, a position as an associate pastor at Harvest Bible Chapel in Houston, Texas. Had the job, everything was set, there was only one problem. We couldn't sell our townhome. And so months went by, we still couldn't sell the townhome. And so in February, Stacy and I started fasting and praying and calling out to God. And so I wrote down, this was when we got a call on March 14th at 1.30 in the afternoon, the psalm there was the one that we were uh, praying. Call out to me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. And so we set this up as a reminder. It was amazing what God did. We could see all the pieces. Actually, I was a former high school pastor at Harvest Bible Chapel in Naperville. The guy that was coming in as the junior high pastor was the one that eventually came over and bought the house. And uh, you could just see God's pieces of the puzzle and God always shows up, they say, right, sometimes at midnight, though, right, to what build our faith. And so we set up these reminders. These are memorial stones to us that so specifically uh, remind us of who God is and what he's done for us so that future generations would worship him too. Share God's goodness. Share it. Share it with your kids. Share it with your grandkids. Share God's goodness. It leads others to worship him too. And I was thinking about this. We need to pass it on. But look, that means it starts with us. Man, that means it starts with our worship. That means it starts with our seeking God, our crying out to God, our waiting on God, our trusting God. It starts with us. And so when you're afflicted in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering, write it down. Write it down. You could do a number of things. You could do a rock and inscribe it on a rock. You could, uh, you could record um, a journal of praise. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just recording a journal of praise and handing that down. You could just write a letter. You could write a letter to God. God, thank you, and just begin to praise God for all he did. Pass that down to kids and grandkids. Or nowadays, I was thinking about this, just pull out your phone, right? And you could do an iPhone message with i got to tell you what God did. I don't want to forget this. You do a little video, store it in the iCloud, pass it down. Pass down what God does. Share what God does. Why? So that when the next generation, when they face troubles, when they face difficulty, when they go through trials, they will know to cast their cares on the Lord too. And that God is faithful. 
that he truly cares for them. We, we pass it down that they would know God's power, that they would know his unconditional love, that they would realize that his mercies are new every day, that they would see that his grace is sufficient, that they would know that he could take the ashes of my life and somehow spin it and make beauty out of it, working all things together for good. Only God could do that. And as you pass it down, it builds their faith and it brings glory to God. Pass it on. Share well. Write it down. Preserve the praise. What God does in your life so that it can be shared and others can worship him too. Worship. Share. Here's our third and final point. Trust. God hears your cry and is faithful forever. Trust. God hears your cry and is faithful forever. In the final verses here of the psalm, we very much see the dependency that the psalmist has on God. Even though it seemed like his days were being cut short. And so he turns to God, he cries out to God as he does what? He waits now for divine intervention. So we can see it in verse 23 and 24. We'll pick up again there. Look what it says. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Who's the author of life? Who controls all the days? It's God. He has shortened my days. He believes God himself is the one who's in control over his days, over his circumstances, over every part of his life. And so he calls on God to deliver him, listen, from the very circumstances that God has allowed. He calls on him again. He pleads with God to deliver him before he dies. He wants God to act swiftly here. And so he says in verse 24, Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. You could, you could hear the heart's cry. Oh my God, oh my God, Take me not away in the midst of my days. He's pleading with God not to take him from the earth before he sees, right? God's people brought back. Zion rebuilt. <clears throat> He's basically asking God for a life extension here. He wants more time. He wants to see it. It's what he longed for, that, that God would usher in the restoration of earthly Zion and the joy of the people worshiping once again in Jerusalem. This here is an honest, open, real, heartfelt cry to the God, look what it says now, whose years endure throughout all generations. Whose years endure throughout all generations. This, this here is a prayer to the God who was and always is, who lives forever, no beginning, no end. Can you see it in here as we go through what he finds his comfort and assurance in? We, we can see it. In all that's going on, he finds his comfort, he finds his assurance in who God is. Not in who he is, not in who, what circumstances say, not in what enemies uh, come after him. He finds his comfort and assurance in who God is. And this, by the way, as we keep going, begins our verses now that the author of Hebrews applies to Jesus Christ. This speaks of Christ. And so the psalmist says in verse 25, Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. 
but you are the same and your years have no end. This is awesome. It's the God word focus again of the but you. You see it in there. But you will remain, right? But you are the same. Your years have no end. This is trust, calling out to God, looking up, finding comfort in who he is. So what does he find comfort in? I just want to give you a couple things here. In in his weakness, he finds comfort in God's immutability. That means God is unchanging. God is immutable. He doesn't change. He's, He's unchanging in his character. He's unchanging in his promises. He's unchanging in his sovereign will. But you are the same. You are the same. He's saying, I can trust you. Reminds me of the Charles Spurgeon quote where he said, uh, the seasons change and you and I change, but the Lord abides evermore the same and the streams of his love are as deep and as wide and as full as ever. He does not change. Our God, Jesus Christ, we, we sang about it. Just that last song, Right? The same yesterday, today, and forever. God can be trusted. He also finds comfort now, the psalmist does, in God's power. His almighty power. He's trusting. He's calling out to the God that what? Created the heavens and the earth. The almighty one who spoke and it came into being. Jesus, our creator, our sustainer. Of old, it says, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. He's trusting. God doesn't change. God is all-powerful. He's finding comfort, lastly, in God's eternality, that God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is self-existent. This is the, this is the Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God, Right? Always was, always is, forever, eternal God. From eternal ages to eternal ages, God was and is forever. He says, your years have no end. Church, who's going to remember us in four or five generations? Who's going to remember us? Listen now. But God will be praised forever. We put that into perspective. But God will be praised forever forever, always has, always will, faithful, eternal, creator, king, unchanging. This is a beautiful God-glorifying psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. He's basically saying God controls all, God created all, God changes all, yet he changes not. And then you see in verse 28, God cares for all. Even for future generations, he says, the children of your servants shall dwell secure, their offspring shall be established before you. The psalmist is trusting God, realizing God controls all, created all, changes all, yet he changes not and cares for all. He's trusting God, and so he calls on God. Even though creation may change, people change, circumstances change, he will remain the same forever. And so God then will carry out his divine purposes and plans. And in that, the the psalmist finds great trust. 
and in that we can find great trust. That he works all things in conformity with the purpose of his will, Ephesians 1.11. The psalmist is trusting God. Question now, how about you? The psalmist is, he's crying out to God. How about you? We, we find that our trust in God and our prayer life do go together. In fact, it was uh, <clears throat> Andrew Murray, he's a famous missionary to South Africa. He said it like this, do not strive in your own strength. Cast yourself at the feet of the Lord Jesus and wait upon him in the sure confidence that he is with you and works in you. Strive in prayer. Let faith fill your heart so you will be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That's what the psalmist did. How about us? How about us? You can trust him. He is faithful forever. He hears your cry. What I love about this psalm is that it begins in despair, really. But how does it end? In triumph. It begins in despair, it ends in triumph, and there's only one reason for that. But you, O Lord. That's it. But you, O Lord. So let me give you a final charge here. This is kind of the final charge. In in a world, church, that's changing at a record pace, right? It's comforting to be able to build your life around a God who does not change and who's faithful forever. In, In a world that's changing at a record pace, it is comforting and right to build your life around God Almighty who never changes and who's faithful forever. Worship today. He's on the throne. He is reigning. Worship. Share it. Tell of his works. God's goodness to us leads others to worship also. And trust. God hears your cry. He is faithful, eternal, immutable, all-powerful, faithful, creator, king. Amen? Amen. He does not change. Let's pray.